0: Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Language Hacking Podcast, where we share the everyday stories from language learners around the world. My name is Shannon Kennedy, and I'm the Community Manager for the Fluent in 3 Months Challenge. In today's episode, I interviewed my co-host, Benny Lewis, who is best known as the founder of Fluent in 3 Months, as the person who created the term language hacking, and as the author of several language hacking courses published by Teach Yourself. Benny and I have a heartfelt conversation around questions of what it means to be fluent and how much of a language you can learn in three months. I love how Benny thinks about these things and how encouraging it is for language learners. Benny also shares how he felt the universe sent him clear messages that he wasn't gifted at languages and how he responds to the feeling of failure, which I know is a common feeling for language learners. Plus, we talk about how Benny developed his 90-day language program, the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, which promises students that they'll have a 15-minute a conversation in their new language after just 90 days. As for all the resources mentioned in this episode, you can find links in the show notes at languagehacking.com. So without further ado, here's my interview with Benny Lewis. Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, Benny.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for letting me take over. Shall we begin?
1: Let's do it. Yeah.
0: All right. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into language learning?
1: Yeah, so I um, I had a little bit of an interest maybe when I was a teenager in learning Spanish in particular, uh, specifically because my um, my hometown of Cavan in Ireland was visited every summer by Spanish students. But of course, they came to my town to learn English, so I never got any Spanish practice with them. Um, and the languages I, I took German and Irish in school. And I did very poorly in both of them. I barely passed my exams. I uh, did not have anything usable. And we actually learned Irish for over 10 years. So I had long accepted I don't really have the brain for languages, even though I did want to learn Spanish. And then oddly enough, it kind of, uh, I, I know a lot of people talk about like destiny and such when it comes to where their language learning story went. And in a way, my destiny was uh, telling me very strongly, you are not going to learn languages because at university, they actually had an evening program for Spanish lessons. And I signed up to it every year and every year I was rejected because they only had a certain number of spots. And I asked on the final year, why do you keep rejecting me? And it turned out my enthusiasm to speak Spanish meant that I put my application in first and the other people put theirs in on top of mine, and they literally just went from the top to the bottom, and mine was the last one. So um, it kind of felt like the universe was telling me, you are not going to learn languages. And when I graduated, I, I had worked very hard in my uh, university years, so I wanted to take it easy and have a study abroad experience, so I went to Spain, and again... It was a big challenge and failure after failure for six months straight. And my initial thought was what everybody has. I'll get off the plane, inhale Spanish air and exhale Espanol. And that just never happened. And I gravitated towards the English speakers. I was working hard. I was taking um, group lessons. I was the worst person in the entire class. Uh, anytime, I'd be terrified of my teacher turning to me and asking me a question, and she could be asking me the simplest thing, like, what's your name? And I would I would f- just freeze and say, see, uh, and, and just hope. That's the right answer. And um, I tried reading El Señor de los Anillos, The Lord of the Rings, uh, with a dictionary, and that was a terrible idea. I tried studying the dictionary uh, for a while as well. I tried quite a lot of things, and it was failure after failure after failure. And I think I don't consider myself naturally talented with languages. But one thing that I uh, pride myself in is I don't listen to signs from the universe. And the universe was very clearly telling me, you are not supposed to speak Spanish. And I wasn't listening. So I think on attempt number like 37, I tried this little thing of not speaking a word of English outside of my work as an English teacher. I would never speak English. And that experiment was the one that gave me success. And that is how I finally got started speaking Spanish. And that's the beginning of the story that led to my travels and language learning.
0: So I'm just curious. I mean, you said 37. I know that was like just an approximate number, not an exact number, but obviously to kind of stick through it through 37 different failures, you have to have some pretty impressive perseverance or um, motivation for just to to continue chasing after a language in that way. So what would you say it was for you that you were so determined to stick with Spanish until you learned it?
1: Well, there were many, many times in that project where I was starting to accept that um, this is just never going to happen. But... I was also getting evidence to the contrary, not necessarily with my own experiences, because until that final attempt, I, I wasn't really making progress. But what I was seeing were, were other English speakers who were arriving in Spain and working in the same exchange program that I was, that was specifically for engineers and architects. So the people with if you go with this logic of left brain, right brain, technically minded people, and my reasoning was I I'm a technically minded person. Therefore, I can't learn languages. And I kept seeing evidence to the contrary. So that would encourage me. And of course, I talked to them and i asked them, what's your secret? And I would expect them to tell me something like, here's a special audio tape that I listen to at night that magically helps me learn the language. I'd expect them to give me some weird thing like that that I was missing. But of course, they told me the things that in retrospect, are obvious that they said I'm actually speaking the language, and eventually it did dawn on me that this is what I had to try. But in general, I um, like I was in in school. I was always the rebellious kid. I would I got in trouble a lot, even though I, I was a good student. I did well in a, in a bunch of subjects. Um, I was also sent to detention because I would drive my teachers crazy so i've never really been one to um to do what i feel the world is recommending that i do and that's why um like for another example is i don't drink in ireland there's a lot of uh peer pressure to drink and that kind of thing actually made me not want to drink even more i I, I despise this. The whole world is pushing you in this direction. And that I kind of feel like I want to rebel against that a bit. So in a way, my consistent lack of uh, success in languages was driving me even further to, to find a way to prove this is not the case for me.
0: Okay. So you went from an engineering student who pushed through to learn Spanish. And today you're known as Benny the Irish Polyglot. So polyglot implies that you speak multiple languages. So I'm curious what kind of led from just learning Spanish and being persistent and going after that language to becoming a polyglot.
1: I think it was, uh, it kind of happened in two ways. So the first wave was learning the individual languages. So after Spanish, I had spent a whole year in Spain with the uh, with my Erasmus uh, friends, and then when they were all going back to their home countries, I, wa- I wasn't ready to go back to Ireland yet and uh, end my adventure as it were, so I went on to Italy and I worked in Italy and after Italy, I went to France and after France, I went to Brazil and now just going to those countries and living there and immersing myself. um, Like at the time, the availability of learning online was nothing like it is today. So that's, that's the way I was doing it. But even, even then, it wasn't actually helping me become a polyglot because I would say with each language that I learned, I was actually consistently forgetting the previous language. So uh, I was, I remember, I distinctly remember feeling quite down while I was in Paris that not only was I struggling to learn French, mostly because I wasn't jiving with the culture at at first, um, but I was also forgetting both my Italian and my Spanish. And I felt really bad. I put all this effort into everything. So after I got into Portuguese, I kind of began a separate project, as it were, because learning Portuguese wasn't as challenging since it is a lot more similar to Spanish than uh, French and even than Italian is. So, And Brazilians are incredibly patient and friendly. So uh, because of that, I could both learn Portuguese and I could actually put effort into becoming a polyglot, as it were. And I started my time in Brazil in this lovely place called Florianópolis. That it's like this island that uh, a lot of both Brazilians and other Latin Americans go to for their holidays, so I got to hang out with a lot of Argentine and other um, South Americans who spoke Spanish. And this meant that I started to switch into Spanish mode. And at first, it was incredibly difficult. And I would speak this Porto the mixture between the two languages. But um, bit by bit, they would correct me on what I was doing wrong. Like, for instance, I might say Mais Grande in Portuguese, because uh, I'd be translating from Spanish. And someone would correct me and say, no, you have to say Maior, if you want to say bigger, uh, because Mais Grande doesn't exist. And bit by bit, I distinguish those in my head. And I think my time in Brazil... Uh, especially being in this touristy destination where I got to mingle uh, you know some French tourists would come in as well, some Italian tourists, and I began this skill as it were of forcing myself to be in multilingual situations and After that, it was something I did consistently when I got back, got back to Europe and I go to the likes of couch surfing events, I would go out of my way to be at one event where i'd be able to use my different languages and it was very very hard that i might have been speaking spanish and enjoying that and then suddenly switch to french and that was like growing a new muscle in a way of learning how to make that switch and to this to this day i still struggle in a lot of ways when Uh, other people make that switch for me, I find that very difficult. If someone comes up to me and starts speaking any language, even the languages I'm at C-level in, I I find it very hard to force myself to uh, remember the flow, the rhythm of that language, and I might make a few mistakes. Whereas if I'm the one making the decision, I'm the one who approaches people, um, then it's that little bit easier. But that's effectively what I did. After my travels... I integrated it into also a separate become a polyglot project that was kind of independent to learning any specific language.
0: I'm so glad that you just brought up projects because that kind of leads into my next question. So with Fluent in Three Months, when you started blogging as Fluent Three Months, um, I think it was around the world in eighty days before it was Fluent in Three Months. Correct? Yeah.
1: No, around the world in eighty mays. Eighty mays. I, I wanted to have my my own unique title, <laughs> and I figured that that invo- implied that I'd be traveling the world for eighty years, which I still think I, I, I could I could make the, I could pull that off. <laughs>
0: So the idea with this blog, these two blogs was your to share your language projects, and that's kind of what developed into fluent in three months. So my first question is going to be, what do you mean by fluent? And my second is, um, what are these three months projects that you're doing?
1: Yeah. So, of course, the definition of fluent is always going to be controversial and people are going to disagree on it and such. And for me, especially because very early on in my travels, I got exposed to the uh, common European framework um, that represents the different language levels. So I realized that... The B2 level, and for anyone who's not familiar with it, it's separated into A, B, and C, beginner, intermediate, and advanced, with one and two being lower and upper. So you have A1, A2, B1, B2, C1, C2. And the C levels represent mastery, and the languages I would reach mastery in, I could work as an engineer, as the uh, um, specialty that I've studied in those languages, Whereas B2, I can exist socially pretty much exactly like I would socially in my mother tongue of English. And that for me is where fluency begins. It's not necessarily where it ends. A lot of people will want to move on from there. But for me, this upper intermediate stage, if I can can function at a social level, uh, exactly like I would in English. Like I'd be going to a barbecue or I'd be going to a pub and I'd be hanging out with people. They could speak at normal speed and I can get their jokes and I can contribute to the conversation. I might still have an accent. I might make the odd mistake. But that for me is fluency because the language is flowing. And the stage I'm at before that, which to me, I would understand as conversational, uh, in that stage, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself fluent because I need my teacher to slow down for me. And I struggle to construct a sentence without a lot of workarounds. So this is why uh, I truly feel a sense of fluency because my language flows. And um, that's kind of where the original definition comes from. And then I started the the Fluent in Three Months blog mainly because a lot of people in my travels were meeting me and saying, You're a language genius. And I really don't like that. I don't like that at all. That doesn't jive with my philosophy of how any of this happened to me. And I truly feel I am not special in any language learning abilities. And I try to inspire other people as much as I possibly can to do something similar to what I did. And because of that, I I wanted the blog to be this uh, platform for me to share this advice. And when I started it, it was just a a spontaneous idea that I was going to learn Czech over a three-month period. And um, I didn't have to pick three months at the time, but in general, the majority of my travels outside of Europe did have a three-month limit. Uh, Within Europe, I'm an EU citizen, so I can stay as long as I like, but for the majority of the rest of my travels, um, for the most part, you get a three-month maximum in each country. So I figured as my projects would continue... That would have to be my deadline. And even if, it wa- even if the tourist visa limit wasn't that, there's this uh, Goldilocks zone feeling for me of three months that it's not too big and it's not too small. And a lot of people, when they start to learn a language, they might say, you know, my New Year's resolution is to learn Spanish this year. And then they have a year-long goal, and it's so distant in the future that you can kind of keep put- putting it off and not really make any progress. Whereas anything less than that, you can't necessarily make a very large step forward in your language skills. So rather than being arbitrary, that's just a nice round number for me. And it was a good theme to add to my travels. And that's kind of where the Fluent in Three Months title came from.
0: So you've done your three-month challenge with a variety of languages from several different language families. Like you said, mentioned Czech. I know you've also studied Hungarian, Chinese, and Japanese. So I'm curious, when you're getting ready to start one of your three-month missions, how do you decide what your goal is going to be for the end of that three months?
1: It's difficult because it, it always does depend on the language, but I like to keep, th- keep things as simple as possible. And um, if, it's, if it's something I feel like I can put the time into... I would aim for fluency. I have had loads of projects where I'd aim for conversational or even lower, uh, but uh, some of the ones that have gotten the most traction, I've aimed for fluency. And even if we take, for instance, my Mandarin project, I aimed for fluency in that. I did not get it. And rather than thinking that this was some kind of a failure, I I really like these high objectives because they push me very, very far to go forward in that language. And Uh, So at the start of my Mandarin project, I figured I want to be at that stage where I can have these conversational level level fluency um, discussions with people because I wanted to explore China and I wanted to get to know locals when I did that. I did ultimately explore China. And I got to talk to people, not at the level I wish I could have because I I didn't reach the fluency level, but with the conversational level, I actually did have a spectacularly unique experience while I was there. And this is ultimately what my goals are based around because... Uh, First and foremost, I like people. I like cultures. I'm not actually passionate about language learning. I don't salivate at the thought of learning, you know, conjugations and subjunctives. No, this doesn't interest me. For me, a language is always a means to an end. It's always just a tool or it's a key to open the door to getting to know people. And I'm, I'm an outgoing person. I like uh, to go hang out with people. I like to make new friends. And especially when I travel, the, the, thing I get the most, most richness out of in my experience is hanging out with people. I know others get their travel kicks from maybe eating the local cuisine or exploring the history of a country. So there's not, there isn't one that's better the, than the other. But just for me personally, it has to be about that interaction. And it's why the goal that I make in my three-month projects are always with that in mind. And in general, that means it's going to be mostly a spoken goal. So, In my initial projects, I'm not going to try to have very active reading skills or I'm not going to try and give like a presentation in the language. I just want to have as high level conversations as I can. And then in later projects, I come back to it and try to refine that.
0: You had mentioned your Mandarin Learning project, and I remember back when you're doing it, it was a little bit controversial because you failed that particular project. So what would you say to people who are like, oh, my gosh, you failed your project?
1: I think it's it's funny. Um, my friend uh, Katsumoto, something he, he told me once is that whenever you're looking at somebody's project and you judge it um, based on what you're seeing at the very end, you're ignoring the entire story. So if you're looking at somebody who trains for the Olympics, let's say, and they do all this work and they only get maybe a bronze medal. um, Has that, has that been a failure uh, based on that? And like, have they not worked hard enough or are they just naturally talented? There's a lot of different ways of looking at that. And For me, I look back on my project and I think the biggest mistake I made was presentation. And I I corrected this in my uh, following projects. I made it extremely clear that this is a goal that I'm aiming towards. This is a target I hope to achieve and I'm sharing this this goal with people. The main reason my, my Mandarin project was the most controversial is because I wasn't clear about that and a lot of people read it as me saying i guarantee i will be fluent in 3 months in mandarin and that was my mistake this was a part of my learning process in blogging and making videos has been uh, i have to learn to be very clear about what i'm actually trying to achieve and i in my announcement video i I kind of left that out and I was like, I'm going to be fluent in three months. And that, that led to the controversy. So I was asking for it and I, I wasn't being arrogant. I absolutely did not feel like I was definitely going to learn Mandarin. But in the presentation, it did come across that way. So it's been very interesting that um, because I, I have very ambitious goals and I have a website that has this title that a lot of people would have a negative association with because they might, they might think of something like six pack abs in two weeks or something along those lines, which can be like a ridiculous overpromise promise um, of snake oil and all these things. Whereas for me, it's it's always come down to whenever I, get, I I have these discussions with people who who don't like the title of the blog, it always comes down to specificity for me, and that's that like as much as I I uh, wish I was more. Um, I was clearer the fact that this was a target that I was hoping to get to rather than a promise. I absolutely don't regret the specificity that I was. I picked this goal of fluency in this timeline of three months because that has been something that drives me. If I just announced I'm going to learn Mandarin, end of story, that's the project, then that wouldn't have pushed me. I wouldn't have reached the stage that I reached to be able to actually talk to random people on a train while I was in the middle of China. So it's um, it's, it's, it's absolutely caused controversy. And ever since then, I have been much, much clearer that this is a project and projects have, have successes and failures. And if, you, if I list all the projects I've ever had and the specific goals that I've aimed for, um, I don't know, maybe half of them, I have reached that goal. The other half, I've been shy of that goal, but even being shy of the goal is a, is a success in itself. It's not a success based on if you imagine uh, the project as an either-or situation, but a lang- learning a language is, has never been, to me, similar to passing or failing an exam. Uh, it's, it's a means of communication. And you push yourself as far as you can get, and you can't really fail with that. You can fail if you say you'll definitely do it, and that's what people think you're saying, but you're not failing if you reach a high level in the language, higher than you ever would if you had not pushed yourself so much.
0: So before we get any further, I actually kind of want to take a step back um, based on your comment a moment ago about how if you were to list all of your language projects. And I know this is a question that you get asked a lot. So I just kind of want to get it off the table and out there. uh, How many languages does Benny Lewis speak?
1: Yeah, it's a it's an interesting question and it always it always comes up and it's hard because it's so so hard to put just a simple number on it, and especially when I talk to people with no experience in languages, they just want me to say 7, 11, 2, 20. They just want to hear that number. And it's very unsatisfactory to to have to talk around it, but ultimately it depends on what you mean by speak. And for a lot of people, I think, who are not into languages, you can say you speak a language even if you're just at the A2 level, if you're just effectively a tourist in the language. I don't think that, well, I do do not say that I speak my A2 languages. I'm still in the early learning process for those. Generally, I would only confidently say I definitely speak this language if it's at fluency level or above. So I've actually dabbled in, I, I, I don't even know if I counted them, it'd be at least 20, if not 30 languages that I've put serious time into and that you can find videos of me online using that language. If we take Hungarian as an example, um, Balint who's of course on the Fluent Three Months team, I met up with him in Hungary and he interviewed me on camera and it was a non-scripted video and you can see I, I have this basic conversation. And yet, I will say very clearly, I do not speak Hungarian because we're talking about me right now in 2020. And I have not maintained Hungarian, so I've lost a lot. And with that in mind, if we look at the languages that I'm at, that B2 level or above, I would say it's, um, and some of these would be in the Cs, but just all B2 and above, uh, French, Spanish, Italian, Portuguese, German, Esperanto. And English so these would be the seven languages and then I have a few others I'm really trying to get into that group but for now I will say confidently seven are the number of languages I speak and uh, pending uh, update
0: <laughs> so let's return back to your three-month projects currently one of the well-known products over at Fluent Three Months is the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, and this grew out of your three-month projects. So, I'm curious to know what your take is on the evolution of the Three Fluent in Three Months Challenge.
1: I absolutely love it because another reason that I started the blog was accountability, and um, obviously, the blog in a way was for me to give advice to other people to help them. But a more selfish goal of the blog for me was just so that. I could put this out there to the world. This is my project. And then I would feel like I have this extra pressure. I've told people I'm going to do it and I need to update them. I need to either give them a video every few weeks or I need to write a blog post telling them how I'm doing every few weeks. And the blog for me was a gr- like, I had been learning languages between 2003 and 2009 without any public missions. And I felt that since 2009, my language learning had this uh, much more solid push. So that was great for me. But as well as the advice that I was writing on the blog, I wasn't able to necessarily give people um, for these first few years, give them their own push, their own uh, accountability. So I really appreciated that Brian Kwong, uh, who had been following the blog and appreciated what I was doing, he started the Add One Challenge. And he started uh, his own mini community of people who would be learning a language over three months and who would have to be accountable to one another. And after a few years... He asked me if I wanted to take it over. I thought it was a great fit, of course, so we did. We took it back into Fluent three months. We um, expanded on what he had originally created, and then we rebranded it to the Fluent three months challenge. And effectively, now what that is is an opportunity for other people to all announce on the same timeline of this exact same 90 days, the same day zero and the same day 90, that they're going to do something in their language that ultimately leads to a 15-minute conversation. And we decided that that was a good goal because um, going with the fluent in three months concept has has a a lot of different definitions for people and so on, whereas a 15-minute conversation, that leaves a little bit of wiggle room that somebody can uh, potentially have a more complex 15-minute conversation or they can have their very first basic 15-minute conversation. And the great thing is I see all the time the immense amount of support the community gives to one another. So I'm really, really proud of what the flute in Three Months Challenge has become. It's become this uh, means of so many people. Now thousands and thousands of people have gone through it of their own personal FI3M challenge that's pushed them to their uh, next level in a language. And um, I'm really, really glad that of all, all the things that have come from Fluent in Three Months. I have given people motivation and such through blog posts, but I've also, uh, thanks to Brian Kwong and now thanks to yourself and the rest of the team that run the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, now we have people directly being encouraged in their own specific challenges. So I'm very pleased with how how it's developed.
0: One of the other things that makes the Fluent in 3 months Challenge unique, um, to use the word unique, and then also your own language challenges, is the concept of language hacking. And this is kind of your method for both learning and teaching new languages. So in your own words, can you explain what language hacking is?
1: Yeah, I had been uh, for a long time following other blogs and seen them mention travel hacking a lot and uh, various other uh, forms of hacking. Um, outside of computer hacking. And effectively, I saw language hacking as uh, as something that truly can exist in its own form of a concept. It goes back to my whole personal philosophy in life in general, that you don't have to follow the steps outlined to you that everybody else tends to follow. And with languages, the steps that a lot of us are exposed to are uh, traditional academic learning, where you're in a group setting with other people. And that, for me, is not, it's not a very effective way to learn a language. And language hacking turns it on its head that if your goal is to speak, you speak from day one. And that, that doesn't necessarily mean speak from day one is equivalent to language hacking, but it's, it's about finding the best way to get to your end goal, the most efficient means possible. So that might be speak from day one. If your goal is to speak, that you're making speaking central to your project. It might also mean considering something like the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule, where you're putting in the 20% of the work that gets you 80% of the results so maybe you're not learning all of the exceptions. Maybe you're learning a rule that might work uh, most of the time and you're leaving the, the, the stuff that is uh, a rare case until much later. And this gives you an upfront ability to say and do a lot more in the language. So this for me is what language hacking is. It's finding these shortcuts that are as efficient as possible and that work specifically to you and your goals in a language.
0: So to kind of sum up what you're saying, language hacking is very personalized, but of course there are some hacking methods that may be a little bit more universal than others. So do you have any specific language hacking methods that you might like to share that would be more on that universal plane?
1: Yeah, something a bit more universal, I think, is is thinking about specific challenges that people face. So one example is listening comprehension. And this for me is very central to issues I faced myself because I'm confident enough with speaking and I jump into speaking from day one. That's been a natural way for me to learn language. But when I've uh, had my level tested, when I've sat these CEPHLR exams, the part of the exam I tend to fail the most is listening comprehension. So to solve this listening comprehension problem, one means of language hacking has been uh, to, to find material that is slightly above the level that you're currently at and to study that listening material as intensively as possible. I'm a big fan of the Innovative Language series of podcasts, but even outside of that, if you find any kind of audio that is slightly difficult for you and that you're intentionally playing and replaying and trying to understand the words, that is going to hone your skills in listening comprehension, which is going to make you a lot better at um, ultimately being able to have those fluent conversations where people speak to you quickly. And this, it feels like, um, for me, it's a language hack because... If I imagined when I started any of my languages and I turn on the TV and they're speaking so fast, or if I see two natives speaking together, it feels impossible to get to that stage. Because as a beginner, it's all noise to me. I can understand very slow speech if someone says, what's your name? But I can't possibly understand someone uh, having this very um, complex conversation. So breaking that up, into the steps of well I'm an absolute beginner so let's listen to slightly difficult beginner audio and when I'm confident with that let's listen to uh, quite difficult beginner audio and just keep taking those uh, steps up so uh, listening comprehension is one. Um, The other hack I think that I would apply universally to people is this isn't necessarily specific to language learning but to not Give yourself time to verbalize your self-doubt. And um, a, a story I always like to share with people is when I met this German girl in Berlin who, was tr- who wanted to practice her English, and she understood that I wanted to practice my German. But there were some American guys nearby, and I said, why don't you go and talk to them? And she had all these reasons, all these self-doubts that she came to me with, that she... Um, had never really practiced before. There's so many words she doesn't know. All of these reasons holding her back. And I think a lot of language learners face this. They, They start talking themselves out of the opportunities to learn the language. And effectively what I did was distract her, move it towards the other person, clink her glass with theirs and run away so that they didn't even see me. And this way she was kind of surprised. And suddenly she was in a conversation and she didn't have time to think. I'm not ready. She just had to say hello and move from there. And later that night, she told me she had great conversations. And it's because she didn't give in to all of these doubts. So um, the way you can translate that into your own life, I think if you're getting spoken sessions, spoken classes, for instance, uh, that you can get on a site like italki or language exchange to program them, to schedule them into your calendar. And this way, it's a little bit more unavoidable. I think that, especially if you pay for the lesson, um, there's that extra sting of losing your money because you might cancel at the last minute. And uh, that's very effective for me because on the day itself, I I do have the, this inner voice in my head that I'm tired. I don't feel like speaking this language. I, I, need, I really need to finish studying this chapter of the book before I'll be ready to have a conversation. All of these things that are are not useful doubts for me and I, I have the schedule and I just have to start the call and it means I actually get practice because if I gave in to all those excuses, I would never get any language practice.
0: So some of these situations that you've just mentioned, um, for example, like turning on the TV and the language being too fast and you not being able to understand, or let's say that things hadn't gone so positively for the German girl you met at that party. She went to go speak to the Americans, got super flustered, and then felt discouraged afterwards about how that situation went. Um, So obviously having the motivation to kind of stick with it and persevere, which is obviously something that through talking to you, we've seen that you're quite good at. But what would your advice be to someone who's maybe not feeling so motivated or is doing an intensive language challenge like the Fluent in Three Months Challenge and needs something a little bit extra to help them stick to it.
1: Yeah, I think I, I definitely do have more of a natural motivation to push myself forward. But at the same time, I think it's it's very important to step outside of this idea idealized view of other people. And um, the likes of Instagram, for instance, show us this perfect life that everyone else is living and that uh, we feel like we're failures when we see everyone is just being super efficient and they have perfect bodies and they're cooking amazing food all the time. And I think there is that temptation to compare ourselves to other language learners. And I myself have had so many times when I've put myself down and I've run into challenges and I have um, felt my motivation evaporate and I've made no progress for several weeks. So I think the first thing is to realize that you are human and that um, as idealized as I can say some of my situations have been, in many of them I have gone through a lot of personal challenges that have prevented me from making progress in the language for a certain period. And it's very, very important to think to yourself, That it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to have a period of time that you are struggling, that you are not making the progress that you wish that you could make. And one of the things I like about the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, for instance, is that people share these struggles with one another. It's not a place where you just literally say, look how amazing I'm doing every single day all the time. People say, I feel like I'm, I'm really behind and I wish I had more time or um, things in my life are getting in the way and slowing down my project. And I would say that it's very important to see those stories in other people and to realize that the challenges you go through are not necessarily unique to you. This is just a part of language learning. If you didn't have these challenges, it wouldn't be learning a language it's a uh, it's absolutely part of the case so rather than say that it's something you need to avoid you just need to accept it and you will have your down days and that's okay so i would recommend you try to relate to other people and see they have down days too. see how can you go easy on yourself and uh if you take a break that it's it's truly recharging your batteries and like I think if someone I would imagine me saying, you have to be a 100% machine, officially learning the language all the time, this can feel like a very intimidating idea. And I, I absolutely tell people it's okay to feel like you're having a down day and that you just accept that this is a down day. You recover and you see, uh, as part of language hacking, one thing I do all the time is if I'm having a down day... Rather than beat myself up about it and say, Benny, you are useless. You're supposed to be Benny the Irish polyglot and look at you. You're not even uh, picking up the book like you said you would. Instead of doing that, I, I like to think, why am I having this stand? Uh, what in my life is making this happen? And sometimes, it, sometimes life is complicated and you can't just solve problems immediately. But sometimes you'd be surprised that It's because of something that you can work on. In my case, I found that maybe I haven't been getting good enough sleep or I've been eating too heavy food. I'm really stressed out and maybe meditating a little bit every day would help ease my mind. But I'm an engineer, so my way of seeing the world is very much um, that rather than getting intense... One reason I have an optimistic view of challenges is I accept challenges will have problems, And I just have to go into this philosophy that I'm going to try to solve those problems rather than when I reach one of these brick walls, that that's the point I give up. I'm, I'm absolutely expecting no matter what project I take on, I will reach a brick wall and I just need to go at that brick wall with the right tools. It'll slow me down, but I'm gonna figure out Here's my ladder to get over it or here's the way to walk around it, whatever it might be. And that's what I try to do on a day to day basis to help with my my low points is I see uh, rather than trying to make today my study day, I'll give an hour or two and figure out why am I having this low point? Is there something I can do so that tomorrow I don't have it?
0: I really like this idea of kind of relating to other language learners and having that little bit of empathy for yourself and what you're going through at any point during a project. And I think that's part of what makes the Fluent in Three Months challenge so powerful is that you have a community of learners who are going through similar struggles and you can share what you're going through and, you know, get some of that empathy, get some advice of how other learners are kind of getting through those same problems that you're currently facing. And I think another big problem that a lot of learners kind of face universally is this feeling of, I don't have time to learn a language. And I know that if anyone can relate to feeling this way, it might be you, you travel all the time, you run a business, you take on these intensive projects that require a lot of time and attention. So what would your advice be to someone who's feeling that they don't have the time to learn a language?
1: I've always found the concept of not having time very interesting because for me it's never it's never a case of having or not having time it's having or not having the energy to put into a project and we all have time we we all have the exact same number of minutes in a day so that's that the, the whole concept i don't have time is meaningless but we we do have other projects taking away our, our energy we do have other priorities and language learning isn't a priority and sometimes it's hard to say this but you have to you have to accept that right now language learning is not a priority in your life and once you're realistic and you're truthful to yourself about this you can find ways to adjust for that so in my own case i i i run a business of course and i've lots of things going on but what i found is to Schedule for scheduling has been just so such a simple thing, but it makes such a big difference to me that I guarantee you, if I hadn't scheduled so many lessons in all of my projects, then I I would have given into this "I don't have time" um, philosophy, and I would not have made a lot of progress. I'm I'm always busy, but if I have that scheduled session, it just has to happen. I would feel like I'm going to let that teacher down. Or I'm going to cancel at the last minute and I can't get my money back if I do that. So I just go ahead with the lesson and that forces it to happen. And even though I'm super busy, it means that I'm going to organize my life around language learning. And it becomes more central to what I'm trying to do. Another thing that I try to do with with, uh, time management is I... I really look at the again this language hacking concept of seeing what is the problem here, and sometimes the problem is i 'll sit down and something will distract me, and um, an email might might appear or whatever it might be, and these are important things that I need to do. Or I, I, I need to empty the dishwasher. It just it has to happen, so it interrupts me, and I feel like i don 't have the time because this thing has to happen. And one way that I solved that problem was, especially because I personally, I have ADHD. I find it incredibly difficult to focus on anything. I get distracted by the tiniest sound and the tiniest little thing. Um, Like I I see people online studying, um, you know, when, um, when it's safe to do. So studying in the likes of cafes or whatever, that sounds impossible to me that is utterly inconceivable for me to study in a cafe because there's just so many things distracting me. Um, So to solve this problem, I time box everything. So I decide for the next half an hour, I'm learning a language or I'm doing something specific, maybe going through flashcards or whatever. And I have a visual timer. You can use an app that is on, on your phone, whatever it might be, just something visual to see how much time is left. And I absolutely do not get up and do something until my time has run out. So I'll give a time box to cleaning the house. And I will accept that some things just need to happen. And it's kind of weird for for some people because they they might let's say binge watch netflix for 2 or 3 hours and that kind of interrupts whenever i feel like oh i want to watch uh, something on tv or i want to flick instagram for for an hour you know something that you would typically not imagine you're going to put in your schedule i would put it in the schedule anyway i i have a realistic schedule i don't start my day with here's my ideal day because that is a that's fiction anytime i've i've decided this is the ideal day, I'm, I, I consider myself a fiction writer, that this to-do list is not going to happen. Unless I put into it buffer zones of like, I'm gonna get distracted for at least two hours today, let's put a time aside for Benny sees a squirrel, that needs to go into my calendar. Or I'm going to, while I'm having lunch, watch something on, on TV. I accept that I'm gonna put aside time for that. And whenever I've not done that and I've had a too idealized day, that's when my time management completely falls apart. So um, this is what I would recommend to people is to time box things and to be realistic. And uh, the buffers help for me a lot because another issue with people with ADHD is a huge inability to gauge how much time something will take. So when I did originally have these idealized days... I might think that I would clean the house in half an hour and I would just put that in the calendar and then study this chapter of my Italian book for one hour. But then each session, each thing might take twice as long. So I add a lot of buffer time. Uh, After I put something in the calendar, I scribble in brown and I just scribble these like one or two hour slots after it, accepting that no matter how much I think it might take this amount of time, it's definitely gonna take more. And uh, that's been a way of adjusting for my own setbacks that have helped me to truly actually get stuff done. And I think not being too idealistic about it is uh, probably one of the better things I'd suggest to people.
0: Well, Benny, speaking of time, thank you so much for your time and sharing your language learning experience with us. Uh, for those of you listening, if you would like to try out Benny's language hacking methods, or if you would like to start speaking your new language, you can check out Benny's free week-long course, Speak in a Week, by visiting fluentin monthscom join. And if you didn't get that link, don't worry about it. We have all of the links and tools and tips mentioned in this episode in the podcast notes, so you can find those there. Uh, thank you so much again, Benny, and for those of you listening, happy language learning.
1: Happy language learning, and we'll see you in the next podcast.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you find this episode valuable, please leave us a review so we can continue to grow and spread the word about language hacking. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel. With special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.